This morning comes from the book of Exodus, the third chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 and read through verse 17. Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would now take this word and write it on our hearts, that we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who reigns together with you, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we spent about, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 weeks looking at the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, where John is introducing us to the Christ, the Messiah. And uh, along the way, we encountered many things about the Messiah, but fundamentally, John tells us that the Word is God and that the Word is the maker of heaven and earth, the agent of creation. He also tells us that he became flesh, and he lived among us. That God became flesh and lived among us. And along the way, we touched on very briefly uh, somewhat of an odd statement later on in the Gospel of John, that Jesus made when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, We expect Jesus to say, before Abraham was, I was, I am something, but 
just to say I am sounds rather incomplete. Well, I've decided that uh, we're going to continue in the Gospel of John, and there are actually seven places in John where we have what are called the I am statements. Now, Jesus says I am a lot, but there are seven places where Jesus says I am, and then what follows is one metaphor or another as now Jesus is describing to us who he is. So in our first series on John 1 to 18, we learned about who Jesus is through the eyes of John, as John was telling us. And now we're going to learn more of who Jesus is through Jesus' own I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But I thought before we started those seven I am uh, sermons, we would look at a couple of places in John where Jesus does not say, I am the, or I am the, but where Jesus just says, I am. Because those places where Jesus uses the language, I am, absolutely, all have to be echoing in our minds when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate of the sheep. Whenever we hear that I am, it should communicate something immediately to us about who Jesus is, even before he says anything else about it. And so this morning, we're going to just look at those two words, I am. Now, of course, you won't be surprised to hear me say that if there's something like uh, something somewhat mysterious in the New Testament, Jesus saying, I am, we probably ought to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is going to provide us the background for Jesus saying, I am. It's uh, another one of those instances where the writers of the New Testament books presume that we know the Old Testament stories because they don't fill in all the details for us. Uh, My guess is that most of you know the name of Professor Mike Glodo. Now, I don't know if Mike does this when he preaches, but he he has a reputation when he teaches of never getting through a lecture without at least one allusion to um, The Simpsons. Uh, And the thing is, you see, he won't say anything specific. He'll just allude to something about Bart Simpson in his lecture. The problem is, if you don't watch The Simpsons, you miss the point. And none of us have a photographic memory for The Simpsons like Mike Glodo does. <laughs> the point being, the first thing we want to do this morning is take a look at some things out of that text that we read. Out of the Old Testament background, where God tells us his name, I am in the Old Testament. And then once we come to understand something of that, we're going to be in a better position to understand these two texts in the Gospel of John where Jesus simply says, I am. 
So let's begin with I am in the Old Testament, going back to Exodus chapter 3, and uh, we can kind of pick up in verses 12 and following. Um, God is going to send Moses to deliver the people. Now, you've got to keep in mind, the people have been living in Egypt under oppression for some 400 years. Exactly what kind of religious understanding they had of the true God, it's hard to tell. They've been living in a pagan, uh, polytheistic culture for many, many years, and we just aren't sure what the average Israelite thought religiously. Uh, And so Moses doesn't understand all of this either, and God's going to send Moses to be the deliverer of the people. And Moses says, well, let's just kind of like start with the basics. If they say, who's, what's the name of the God? Because there are a bunch of them out there in the world. What's the name of the God that sent you? Well, what should I say to them? So that's where we're going to start with that affirmation that God gives in Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. Now, just say a couple of things about this. Uh, your, your word for the day, in case you didn't look at dictionary.com this morning on your phone to get your word for the day, I'm going to give you one. Uh, tautology, uh, the adjectival form tautologous, it's a great word. Um, when God says, I am who I am, I am is tautologous. Now, what on earth does that mean? We often use words, and we use them correctly, But when you stop and try to give somebody a definition, we're hard-pressed to actually define the word. Well, a tautology, one one rule for defining words is you are not permitted to use the word you're defining in the definition because then the definition's not very helpful. It would be kind of like you saying, well, Mark, what's a preacher? Well, a preacher is someone who preaches. Now, I've said something, and what I've said is true, right? But it's not very helpful. It doesn't really reveal anything. That's tautology. And notice what God says. I am not the good shepherd, not the king. I am who I am. It's tautology. And what that means is what God says conceals. Remember the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel? And Jacob wanted to know the, uh, the angel's name? Anybody remember what the angel says? What are you asking my name for? I'm not telling you my name. There's something mis- mysterious here. By definition, when God says, I am who I am, he is concealing something of who he is. But at the same time, this tautology reveals something. By concealing, God is revealing. Now, this is a great day. Two words of the day. One is probably a little bit more familiar than tautologous because we use it in some of our hymnody. The word is ineffable. We sing of God being ineffably sublime. What See, when God says, I am who I am, he's concealing something of who he is. But by doing that, he's revealing something of who he is. And what he is revealing is that he is ineffable. That means who he is cannot be articulated 
with human speech. It's related to God being incomprehensible. Now, I'm neither a philosopher nor the son of a philosopher. And uh, when I studied philosophy in seminary, I didn't get a lot of it, but I did come away with one thing that was really, really important. And it is, it is that we can never know God fully. And the reason why we can never know God fully is because God is infinite and we're finite. And so just by definition, we can never know God fully. Well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Until you get the other side of that, we can still know God truly. You all know me. You, you know me truly. None of you know me fully. And I'm finite like you're finite. And so we shouldn't be surprised to understand that God is one whom we can never comprehend fully. There is always going to be mystery about who God is. And if in your view of God there's no mystery, your view of God needs some deepening. God says, I am who I am. You cannot understand me fully. You cannot articulate in human words who I am because I am infinite in my character. So I am is tautologous. It conceals God, but it thereby reveals God as being ineffably sublime. Now, you've got to stay with me on this one. This one's just, this one's hard to do in English, but we're going to try. Second thing that this text shows us in verse 15 is that I am is the Lord. Notice God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord has sent me to you. Now, in verse 14, God says, I am has sent me to you. In verse 15, God says, the Lord has sent me to you. Now, my Bible has a little footnote after the Lord, and it says the Hebrew Lord sounds like and may be related to the Hebrew for I am. Well, you can take that note and just um, change the may be, I think, to is. The Hebrew for Lord sounds like and is related to I am. Now, here's where you got to hang with me for a little bit. Because English... Grammar is different than Hebrew grammar. In English grammar, we have separate pronouns, and then we have separate verbs. For example, we would say, I walk. But then in the third person, we would say, she walks. So we change the form of the verb some, but we change the pronoun. I walk, you walk, the verb doesn't change, just the pronoun changes. But Hebrew doesn't work that way. Hebrew, like, builds things right into the word, like walk, walks. If you want to say, I do something, you start it by, you, it's all the part of the word, you start it with, eh, and if you want to say, he does something, you start it with, ye. So, eh and ye. Uh, so let's just use the word, um, uh, call. Kara, ekra, I call. Yikra, he calls. Tikra, 
you call. You just change a little sound up front, and it goes from the first person, I, to the third person. That's what that note is getting at when it says the word for Lord sounds like and is related to I am. So here's how you say I am. Eh, yeah. Everybody say eh, yeah. Two syllables, eh, yeah. Eh, yeah, I am. Eh, yeah, asher, eh, yeah. I am who I am. That's what God says. Tell them, eh, yeah, sent me. Tell them, I am sent me. Now, when we get to that word for Lord, instead of the eh on the front, we get the y on the front. I'm kind of simplifying this, but I just want you to get this point. So, in 14, God says, tell the Israelites, Ehyeh sent me. In 15, he says, tell the Israelites, Yehyeh sent me. In other words, tell the Israelites, I am sent me. Tell the Israelites, he is sent me. Why the change? Only God can say, Ehyeh. I am. So when God is referring to himself, God says, eh, yeah, I am. But then when Moses has to go and refer to God, Moses can't say, eh, yeah, right? Because they would think he's saying he's God. Moses has to say, yeah, yeah. God says, I am Moses says, he is sent me. I'm, I'm trying to just do the Hebrew thing into English. Make sense? You've got to hang on to that point. You know, I, I grew up in a different generation than the current generation. My parents, as you know, have both passed away. And even though they have both passed away, I still find it incredibly hard to refer to them by their first names. We just didn't grow up that way. Uh, they were Mr. and Mrs. Futado to all of my friends. And when we had young children, that's the way our kids were raised, and then we moved to California. And we tried it with our friends. We tried to refer to our friends by Mr. and Mrs. for our children, and it just didn't work because our friends all said, no, nah, call me Don. No, nah, you know, call me Jim. It, and there was no cultural reinforcement of this. But I, I'm serious. It is still hard for me with my parents who have passed away to use their first names. Um, my daughter has just moved to a new teaching position in, in the high school where she was a student. And so now a lot of her uh, colleagues were her teachers. So I said to her, on any first name basis yet? And she said, with some, the younger ones, it's easy. But she said, oh, with some of them, they're never going to be first name. They're always going to be Mr., Mrs., because of that, you know, how do you refer? So it's, it's still an issue, even in a popular way. Bottom line here, when, when you see Lord, and notice in your Bible how Lord is in small caps. When you see Lord in small caps, what you want to think is, He is. God says, eh, yeah, I am. Moses says, Lord, he is. And we might talk a little bit about why. Why doesn't our translation say he is? That's because that's God's personal name. And personal names have meaning. 
Um, some, uh, for example, Michael. Michael is a Hebrew name. Me means who, Ka means like, and Ale means God. Michael, masculine form, Michelle, feminine form, who is like God. So Hebrew words, Hebrew names have meaning to them. And so God's name from his point of view is, what is my name? I am. But we can't say I am, so what do we say? We say he is. So why do they translate it Lord? Well, in Hebrew tradition, we ancient Hebrew tradition, we do not want to misuse the name of God. We read that in the Ten Commandments today, right? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What's one way to make sure you never misuse God's name? Don't use it at all. And so the ancient Hebrew tradition substituted, instead of he is, they substituted the word Adonai, which means Lord. And so when the Jews translated their Bible into Greek and they came to God's name, they used the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. And when the New Testament translates Old Testament texts into Greek, where God is referred to by name, the New Testament calls him Kurios, Lord. And when Jerome translates the Bible into Latin, that is like the King James Bible for a thousand years in the church, Jerome uses Dominus, Lord. So when Wycliffe starts to translate the Bible into English, he uses the English word Lord. So where does Lord come from? Very deep tradition that wants to honor the name of God by not saying it. So instead of saying he is, in our translations, we have Lord. We're going to come back to that momentarily. So, I am in the Old Testament. It conceals and it reveals. I am is the way God refers to himself. He is is the way we would refer to God were we not following this deep tradition of substituting the word Lord for he is. Third thing, I am is the God of the fathers. Did you notice that in both verses 15 and 16? Uh, the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Verse 16, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I am is not only tautologous, I am is not only the Lord, I am is the God of the fathers. Let me say two things about religion. Biblical religion. Now, I know that sounds a little bit strange, because you've probably heard in one time or another, in one way or another, that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is uh, another R word. Yeah, see, you, that's very common, right? It's wrong, but it's very common. Christianity is a religion. Just look up the word religion. A religion is simply a set of beliefs and practices that a group of people hold in common, right? We're Christians, and, and all Christians hold on to a certain set of beliefs. Now, we have to be very generic if we're including everybody who calls themselves a Christian, but Christians believe there's one God. Christians believe that that one God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians believe that that one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Creator. Christians believe that that one God who is the Creator is also the Redeemer. See, there are a set of beliefs that all Christians hold together. 
There are also a set of practices. Christians meet in one way or another for public worship. And when they meet for public worship, they all do the same kinds of things. They pray. They sing. They have the Bible read. Somebody explains the Bible to them. Also as part of that worship, as we will do, Lord willing, next Sunday, they celebrate the Lord's Supper, or they baptize. Now, they might do some of these things in different ways, but you see, Christians have a set of beliefs, and they have a set of practices that they hold in common. That's simply religion. Religion is not a bad word. Uh, and I'm not, I think I know why people don't like it and they say, oh, we, we, we don't, we don't want to be religious. We're religious. We have, we are Christians. We are, are members of the Christian religion. We have a set of beliefs that we hold dearly. We have practices that are significant in our lives. Now, what do we understand to be at the very core of our religion? It starts with our relationship especially as Presbyterian Christians, as Reformed Christians, because we understand that the heart of God's revelation to us is that He's the God of the covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's relationship. So I get what people are saying when they say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. They want to emphasize that that we're not just about ideas and practices. All of that has a very personal focus to us. Although in much American evangelicalism that, that focus is very very individualistic. It's my it's me and Jesus uh, not realizing that that this is a this is a group activity that we're involved in. Which is why we have a set of beliefs and a set of practices that we hold together. Because we're not just isolated Christians. We are part of the body of Christ. Uh, you see, religion is personal. The God of the fathers, your God, religion is rooted. One of the reasons why I, I love to sing older hymns is because they connect us with generations that have gone by. If it's less than three years old, doesn't mean it has to be discarded. Uh, years ago, I preached on things like the doxology and the benediction, and I raised questions like, why have we as a church discontinued these practices that the church has been involved in for a couple of thousand years? Why have we cut ourselves off from our roots? Um, that we see here. God says, Moses, tell them I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob people who lived hundreds of years earlier. But those folks who lived hundreds of years earlier, they are at the foundation of our religion, of our faith. We are standing on their shoulders. We, we have to understand something of where we came from if we want to know where we are and where we're going. And so... So when God says, I am the God of the fathers, he's just reminding Moses and reminding us that while it is true in some ways that we have to live in the moment, that moment cannot be cut off from all of the moments that have gone before us. Or we'll just be lost. We'll be floating in outer space. 
we have to know and honor from where we have come if we're going to know where we are and where we are going. So I am as Tautologus, I am as the Lord, I am as the God of the Fathers, a religion that is rooted and a religion that is very personal. And uh, finally, I am is the one who is with you. Go back to verse 12. Exodus 3.12 And God said, I will be with you. Now this I will be in Hebrew is Ehyeh. It's the very word that God is going to use when he says, I will be who I will be. Ehyeh asher Ehyeh. He's already said it. In this text, he's already said it. So when, when God later says, I will be who I will be, ringing in our ears is what God said just a couple of verses earlier, I will be with you. Uh, this is related to Emmanuel, God who is with us. When God says, I am, he is revealing to us that he is the one who is with us. We've already touched on this. Our God is a covenantal God. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's the God of the covenant with Abraham. But the God of the covenant with Abraham is also the God of the covenant with Adam. Now, in, in Genesis chapter 1, there's only one Hebrew word for deity that is used. And that word is Elohim, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. Uh, God, 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 God. But when we get to Genesis chapter 2, it changes. It's no longer God. It's the Lord God. It's He is God that is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. You see, the first time we get God's name revealed to us, it's God as a covenant partner walking with His people in close fellowship in the garden. I will be with you. That's who God is. Uh, He's not a God who is only far above us. See, here's the mystery, right? And all religions wrestle with this. All people who are religious wrestle with this. How do you relate to God? Is God one who is far, far, far above you? Or is God the one who helps you find a parking spot when you're running late? very close to you. And it's just human nature that we tend to gravitate toward one extreme or another without embracing both. I dare say as Presbyterians, if we're going to err, we're erring to this side, right? Um, If you just listen to the way Presbyterians pray, Presbyterians typically don't start a pastoral prayer by saying, Dear Jesus, am I right? No. We start with our Father, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, Lord of all the universe. Yes? It's our language, and our language is showing that we tend to relate to God as one who is high above us, transcendent. Whereas other evangelical Christians tend not to have that kind of understanding of God. He's the one who 
helps me get a parking place when I'm late for the doctor and there's no parking, I go around one more time and it opens up for me. God right there in, in close. Now, which one is right? Yes, God is both transcendent and he's imminent, but as people, it's hard for us to embrace that fullness, right? And so it's easier to go to one of those ends uh, or the other. And, and at the very beginning, you see, in Genesis 1, God says, you know who I am? I'm Elohim. I am way, 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 way up here, maker of the whole universe. And then in Genesis chapter 2, I am the Lord God. I am, he is God. I am walking with you in the garden. I'm very close. See, in the very beginning of the Bible, God says, don't choose. He says, embrace me for who I am. Okay, if you can't understand how I can be both, I am who I am. And so, in this text, we see some of these basics of what it means when in John, Jesus says, I am. Now, we're halfway done. But, that is in terms of content, not in terms of time. See, once you understand this, and when we turn to just two texts in John, they don't need very much comment. They're perfectly comprehensible to you. Let's go, first of all, to John eight fifty-eight. Gospel of John Eight fifty-eight. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, first of all, they could see Jesus right in front of them, and they knew how old Abraham was. And so, he, Jesus didn't say, before Abraham was born, I was. Well, that's true. But he doesn't say that. He says, I am. And see, now you've got to imagine that you're a good first century Jew, and when you hear Jesus saying, I am, you know exactly what he's claiming. He's saying, I am who I am in, in Exodus chapter 3. You're looking at him. I am. How do we know that? Look at verse 59. At this they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Just because he said, I am? No, because he was claiming to be the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation. And they took that to be blasphemy. It wouldn't be blasphemy in their minds if they believed that he was. But since they didn't believe that he was, he was blaspheming in their estimation because when he said, I am, they got it. They got that he was claiming to be God because they were good first century Jews and they understood Exodus 3. Now let's look at one more text. John 18, verse 5. I'm not sure what your translation will say here. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, John 18, 5. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. So they're, they're saying, he says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And the, my translation says, I am he, Jesus answered. Now, that's not really very helpful because the he shouldn't be in the translation. The translation should simply be, 
I am. Just like in the previous text, Jesus just says, I am. Now these, these folks, these are Roman soldiers. And notice in verse 6, when Jesus said, not I am he, but I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now these are pagans. I have no idea what they understood about Exodus 3. I'm presuming they might not have known anything about Exodus 3. But when they were in the presence of I am, who says I am, that declaration was so powerful, you might say, that it knocked them backward. Now, this was kind of a a different sermon. Lots of Hebrew grammar, weird English words. But I think it's an important sermon. Uh, In and of itself... But also because as we go through these I am statements, every time Jesus says, I am the, you have to hear him starting by saying, I am. I am. I am. So, to summarize, only God can say, I am. When we refer to him, we say he is. Jesus says, I am. Jesus claims to be the God of the Israelites, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is, he is this is why in 1 Corinthians 12.3, Paul says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one can say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is kurios in Greek. Jesus is Adonai in Hebrew. Jesus is, He is. No one can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul says in Romans 10.9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. See, that is saying so much more than just Jesus is my master. It's saying Jesus is kurios. Jesus is Adonai. Jesus is, he is, Jesus is, I am. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is, I am, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I guess understanding I am is kind of important for this life and for the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your profound revelation of who you are. Uh, In some ways, so simple. In some ways, so deep. There are so many things that we can grasp and so many things that lie beyond our grasp. And yet, we thank you that even though we can even know you exhaustively, we can know you truly. But we can only do so with the aid of your word and your spirit. And so we pray that your spirit would write this word on our hearts, that we might worship you, 
and that we might serve you well in the six days that lie ahead until we can come together again as your covenant people to worship you on the next Lord's Day. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, who is the great I Am. Amen.